All right, welcome back, everybody. This is uh, Pete, Brian, and Jake here, otherwise known as PB and J. PB and J. I did hear that. Yeah. So one of us. Oh, it was. Which I know who it was. I'll give a give a shout out to my uh, my good buddy Eric. Was the one that uh, did he do that? He did. Yeah. He listened to it and told his wife, "Hmm, I think I I like some PB and J." We go. So PB and J back again uh, for another episode here, and this one's also another doozy here because I know there are going to be a bunch of people who disagree with uh, what we're going to say about it. Actual sin, guys. So this is the one we're going to talk about what it means to turn away from God and what the end result is as uh, we move forward. So uh, before I go into the questions, I'm going to remind everyone again, thank you for listening. And also, please subscribe to us. So any updates you can get from us, you're going to get it through the subscription. Follow us. You'll get stuff coming out. Look at uh, SoundCloud, iTunes, Spotify. Uh, make sure to comment if you have any questions. Hit us up and we're happy to go and answer questions. And uh, yeah, enjoy this next episode then. So here, uh, going right into it. Is original sin the only kind of sin? Because we talked last week a lot about the original sin that is what Adam and Eve committed when they violated the one rule that God had given them. Well, guess what? We all know that's not the only sin. So uh, there's a bunch of others out there. And so now we're going to get into actual sin. Um, This is what we now have the opportunity to commit and unfortunately do on all too regular a basis. And then there's there's so much stuff in regarding sin like this is one of the things where i think christianity overall like and i wouldn't say it gets a bad rap but i think all of its detractors will start just piling on when it has to do with sin (laughs) and man you guys just i want to make all these just random rules and this is where they'll they'll go same with the catholics if you you want to go after a group they'll go after catholics in the catholic church because there's just no comprehension at all the differences between what is biblical from the standpoint of what we're uh, commanded by Christ to do versus the precepts of the church that we have obligations that look if if we are catholic it's more than just saying hey, yeah, I'm, I'm catholic on sundays sometimes you know and maybe maybe christmas eve you know there's <laughs> a lot of people that conflate the holy faith with the fallible natures of human beings and it tends to to get intertwined and then of course all they point to is the human hypocrisy and the failures of leadership and and then uh, on the other side, I've heard, I don't know how many times I've heard, like, about the, uh, the, well, the sexual repression of, of, of the Catholic Church. It's like, are you serious? Like, we're the ones with, like, 197 kids per family and buses showing up. So, clearly, clearly can't be repressed in any way. Shape yeah. Or form. yeah. I, I, think it's, I think it's the old Puritan uh, of America. Yeah, well, the, the whole idea that we're talking about, like, people, they love to detract, right? You know, well, is this a sin? Is that a sin? Like, I don't need a book to tell me what's a sin. And what about the Leviticus? You don't follow all those laws. Is, are you sinning that? And I like to call it, like, I like to think of it as the the Black Knight attack, right? They're just like this little horse on the chessboard just hopping around all over the place. And it's just like, nope. All right, let's stay on track here, buddy. Let's stay on track. It's one at a time. They just they just hop all over the place. But, yes, clearly they're, they're a sin, right? I mean, like, this whole idea, I don't need a book to tell me if I'm a good person. Um, you're talking as people say that kind of thing, like I need yeah, a book to tell me if I'm good. Oh, I got oh, this. Yes. I'm fine, man. Yes, like, that we, was not me saying. I, but like, I don't you need know, God. I've, I'm, I'm I heard, good. And he's a good friend of mine. I heard him say he, he said that one time. I don't need a book to tell me you know what's wrong or what's right. And I'm like, then what does? Like what does? If what it's is just, the standard? Yes, exactly. What is the standard? And by the way, where did this generally? I would say there's an undercurrent. It's not exactly stamped on every human heart. What is right? What is wrong? But generally, we can agree. Don't murder. Don't rape, don't steal, you know, don't be mean to people. Whatever you know, that like means. Cruel, this is... I should say, not mean, but like, don't be cruel. Like, like you shouldn't be 
you know, everybody, I would say 99.9% of humanity, if you showed them a video of a dude torturing a cat to death, would go, that's messed up. How do we know that? If like, if... There are things that intrinsically we all know are wrong. You can watch babies do not like when stuff is stolen away from them. Um, In the end, no one likes being hit. It's just a thing where we're all like, that kind of sucks, man. And don't get me wrong, there's, there's, there's weird stuff that goes on out in the world but generally speaking or whatever <laughs> if you're not expecting it i don't want to get cold cocked in the side of the head that's Truth. that's gonna be bad and we're all in agreement there the problem that we're going to have to acknowledge from the standpoint of morality and sin and why we would sit there and say no definitively that is wrong is because to be a christian means we have to accept a morality that supersedes ourselves there is ha- there has to be an objective morality that we all subscribe to that we all can uniformly agree that is out of bounds, and this is acceptable. This was commanded. That was outright objected, refused, told us that if we did it, we would be punished for it. Because if everyone individually makes up their own morality, there is no morality. Correct. And that's the whole idea of that. There, that's the whole idea of like, if I reject, right? This is the fallback, like, make me feel good argument. If I reject that the church has authority to deem, you know, what is moral, immoral. If I take that away, then somehow I take away the idea of sin, right? If I just, if I do away with universal morality that is being told like, hey, here are the rules laid out, this, that, and the other. Well, if if I get rid of that, or if I just deny it, or if I stick my head in the dirt, then the consequences go away too. I can do what I want. That's how people like to make themselves feel better. Well, well, you know, it's again, sexual oppression, right? That's another one in this, you know, oh, sexual oppression. Like I'm just, I'm not hurting anybody. Like. Whatever it is, and you can keep telling yourself that all you all you want, but as we talked in the last previous episode, you start to have very bad physiological, psychological um, effects of immoral sexual behavior that will manifest themselves and make it very, very hard for you to interact in the world with other humans, make it very hard for you to go about your day-to-day life. Um, and I think, that, alone. and we'll cover that though, too. We're going to cover the effects of sin. What starts to happen as everything starts to fall apart. So going back to sanctifying grace and, and what we have when we're close to God, there is so much protection and so much, um, fulfilling results from being with God that when you start to leave him, you're not whole, you're not right. There are problems. Everything starts to break down. You, you can angst in the back of your head. Yeah, you're never comfortable. You can't you can't rest. You'll never trust anybody. The whole thing starts to come completely unraveled to the point where you cannot even understand which way is up. You would actually be able to argue it and actually think that you're making sense trying to twist everything around. And this is the most difficult time that Catholics have dealing and I would say I would say catechized Catholics, and I'm not trying to insult people who've never been educated. That's why we're here. Okay, to try and help people get up to speed to understand where to find all this stuff to get it sorted out so you can clearly see which way is up, what is right, what is wrong. But poorly catechized Catholics, Protestants, Muslims, Jews or whatever, man, the argument starts not having any idea what actually makes logical sense. And they start making some of the weirdest arguments that actually have no basis in fact, especially when you start to pull additional facts in. And I think then not only are you losing your ability to, to rationalize the farther away you move from actual grace, um, but you're losing your ability to even see truth, to see facts and everything else. Well, you end up with a moral vertigo. And that's really, I think for me, looking back uh, on my journey into the church, 
some things I had to rectify. And, and I was like, wow, that I didn't realize that that was sinful or this, you know, whatever. Uh, I could pick a litany of, of examples. But then the second you're oriented and you you have your your moral horizon again, you could start to navigate. You become keenly aware of the pitfalls. Oh, are oh, you sensitive to it? Yeah, that's, and I think the best one to for guys at least that I could totally point out like quickly is second glances and looking too long at women. Yes, it's oh, the yeah. easiest yeah. one to just follow. You like, oh, and then I'm just, oh, I just did it again. <laughs> like it becomes not only it's habitual. Uh, you have to actually then start thinking about how to get out of it. You don't actually feel bad about it when you don't know any better to sit there and go, oh no, seriously, you've already sinned, like you've already committed adultery in your mind. It's bad. It's terrible. As long as you, if you know what's going on. And when you're outside of the fold, when you're in that diabolic disorientation, that weird smoke of Satan thing going on, you're like, yeah, whatever, man, that vertigo, I'm, I'm good. Until you walk away from it and you look back and you go, oh, that is the most disgusting thing that I, that, ah, it's, it's, it's like going back and like a football player watching film and having a coach there explaining what, what you're looking at in the moment. You know, whatever sport you're playing, basketball, football, wrestling, hockey, I don't know, baseball. Um, in the moment, you you may just be in the moment. You may not have, when you look back, at least when I played sports anyways, I could I didn't have a very good recollection of, of how events played out. Um, but going back and watching tape, then you go, oh, yeah. And then you have somebody there who is, an ob- ob- who is the objective moral reason, right? We're, because that's what we're talking about, sin. But your coach, who is the objective technical expert, who is saying that was good, that was bad. And so hopefully next time you're in that situation, you have some sort of reference to be like, oh, I did this last time, that was not good. And this is where we're going to get to judgment, and that is almost exactly what happens. Only the worst part about that is, is in that instance, by the time you get to your judgment, you're done. And then now Christ will go over and replay, basically on film, in the most vivid and realistic and uh, basically reliving it in your head and for everyone else to see is when you get to go over everything you failed on, everything you refused to do for God, and then realize all the holes that were made. And I think that is the, the most profound difference about living the virtuous, devout, truly Catholic life versus everything that isn't, is that all of a sudden you can see how terrible God sees all those other actions. And you're not... You don't look down on people for that. It's not the, because each one of us could, anyone in a state of grace can fall right back into it. And we'll talk about that here in a minute. But the issue that's hardest to deal with is how disgusted, how angry, and how sad God is when he sees all of this. Well, you're going up into, eventually, shortly we'll get to the two types of sin, but uh, one, you have to acknowledge that you're capable of sinning. So understanding that you do have the free will and the choice but then when you look at mortal sin, it's only the most offensive thing in the universe to God. Well, actually, all sins are infinitely offensive. The right. real question is the difference of the damage one does to themselves. So, yeah, you have this uh, completely horrible sin. That's why I call him Pete the Hammer. Pete, yeah, he's just hammering it all back in. <laughs> um, but it's a, uh, from God's perspective, what does that look like? Uh, you can see the damage, the natural damage that sin has on on a person uh, through natural consequences and effects. Uh, that's pretty obvious to us, but some of the, the bigger stuff, as far as I don't know, um, yeah, drug abuse again. You know, if you end up with hepatitis or AIDS or what, that's a pretty obvious natural consequence. But then, what does that self inflicted damage do to God? Well, so the whole thing again, if you imagine a path, right, 
and on either side of the path are essentially whatever mob of angry, whatever you consider demons to look like, angry people, beings, things, right, that are trying to pull at you. The idea, and this is a very, this is something that I struggled with for a long time after I came back, you know, to the faith, um, and it started to make more and more sense as I conceptualized it this way. There is this belief, and we're not even into the sacraments and stuff, and so I won't really go down too far down the rabbit hole and like confession, but there's this belief, oh, I can do this one sin, and then I got confession in a couple of days, and you know, God will forgive me. Oh, the right? presumption. The presumption, right? That God will forgive me, or that I have enough time, or whatever it is. Which is but, a sin. Which is, yes, uh, yes, in, in itself is a sin, right? But what I'm saying is, it's not just, and we talked about this in the last episode, you know, going however long down the, the wrong path, and how much you have to then fight to get back. But it's the same way. Like, you don't just step off the path, and then you're among you know, these demons are just like, all right, we got them off the path. Game's over. You know, at that point, they're now pushing you, pushing you, pushing you as far away, as far away, as far away from the right path as possible. So that before you know it, you're despairing. You can't see the path anymore. And like, that's how they do it. They don't just let you step off the path and then you stop getting temptations. Once they've broken you, that's when, that's when the full assault comes, right? That's when they're sending in their version of the Calvary to try and route you at that point. And so, yes, we can say mortal sin, people who are living in ignorance, almost to some degree, they're ignorant. They don't, they don't really know what's going on, right? But for those who realize what is right and what is wrong, the battle that you face when you give in to what is wrong is, is, worse. is way, way worse than it was before when you didn't know, when you're just kind of floating around because, yeah. And I think, and for everyone listening, we're here right now to help you stay off that path. Like the bad path, the wide path that leads to destruction. We're trying to help you get back. But there's very little way to navigate this landscape without a map. And what we're going to work on with the rest of the questions in this lesson here on sin are really know all the specifics about sin and what it is to walk away from God. Because only in knowing how bad it can go will you actually have any idea how to get back. And so we're going to end up with another controversial one here, especially with Protestants, is... uh, how many types of actual sin are there? Two. There's two types of act, two types of actual sin. Those types are mortal and venial. And although there may be Protestants out there, they're the ones who I've argued most with on this topic, where they say, there's a, no, 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 not every sin is bad and, and whatever. And to that, I would agree. Every sin is infinitely bad against an infinite God because any deviation from his perfect path is infinitely offensive to an infinite God who gave tons of, you know, his own blood and his own suffering to help us. And yet we're going to go and just flip it right back in his face. And be like, no, nah, I don't want it. So that's bad. However, the real question is, and this is why we got to focus on that whole mortal thing. What does it mean to the condition of our souls? Certain sins, because we were just stupid, because we weren't in control. We did uh, some other mistakes that got us into that situation. They weren't willful. We didn't understand that they were grave. And what was it? Full consent, knowledge, and... Knowledge. Grave matter, full consent, knowledge, and you acted upon it anyway. You're willing okay. to apply it. Yeah, but again, the like you said, the, the grave matter, right? So it goes back to last week's French fry versus assault, right? Yeah. If I take your French fry, you know, maybe it's just a French fry amongst friends, but I'm just, you know, 
whatever it is, take it while you're not looking. I'm trying to deceive you. It's not good. But is it as bad as assaulting someone? So we have no. degrees here that we need to discuss. Exactly. Yeah. And so, again, we have to remember three conditions are for a mortal sin. has to be grave matter. You have to know it's grave matter, and you have to do it anyway. There you go. So those are the three conditions. If you do not fully meet those three conditions, it is not mortal. Mortal meaning you have killed the sanctifying grace, your connection to God. Your soul, in effect, is dead. There is no connection to God. And as such, if you happen to die in that condition, that's it. Sorry, you're out. And you're not going to be able to go to heaven. This goes back to that whole justice problem. This goes back to God's mercy. And this goes back to all the commandments. Is that if he says it is, we have to believe him. And this is where we have to go back to scripture. Because John actually says, um, and I, at least John does, but there are sins that actually kill. And he actually talks about that verse. I don't know if anyone knows off the top of their head which verse that is. Um, but that he literally states it. And that is the difference in terms of the state of our soul by the time we're done committing that sin. And then when we have to sit there and talk about mortal sin, this is where we go into the, the grievous nature of all of it. So, yeah, I can steal five bucks from someone and it doesn't really hurt them. I can steal by lying about them. 100,000 from them, and now I may have ruined their livelihood, the livelihood of their family, and a whole bunch of other stuff, as well as got ill-gotten gains from my end and actually created a whole bunch of situations. And this goes back to, okay, well, if no one knows about the fact that you stole it, did you really hurt all these other people because you found a way, like, bank error in your favor and you kept a million dollars? Like, okay, maybe you don't think you hurt someone, but you totally offended God. That a million dollars was supposed to go somewhere else. There are all these different impacts and secondary and tertiary effects, that's what actually raises the gravity of one of these sins. I don't know if you guys have anything else you want to add on that topic there. I think for the beginners, you have to keep in mind, I think we're just trying to, I guess, give you the example of, you know, murder is terrible. That's a grave sin. And if you, I don't think there's too many people on planet Earth that would argue that that's, that wouldn't be a mortal sin under the, the parameters we're giving you. But then you look at the roots of it you know, down to anger. You know, if I give you the old one one finger salute out the car window because you cut me off, uh, that would be a sinful act. You know, it's an act against my neighbor. You know, it's charity and self-control and a whole litany of other things. But you couldn't hardly call it grave. So that would qualify as the venial, the lesser of the sins. But enough lesser sin, enough venial sin added up over time, especially unchecked. Uh, as Jake was saying, you, you're kind of teetering on a path. And you're kind of choosing to walk the edges. And it doesn't take much to kind of push into a mortal at that point. Um, so that's why we, we harp on the little things uh, in order to keep ourselves centered on the narrow path. Because it is quite narrow. I think the idea, too, is that, you know, some things due to our our own fallen nature, um, our ignorance, sometimes we can, we can sin in ways that they're venial only because... We didn't stop to think about it, right? It's a habit, right? I take the Lord's name in vain, like in sheer pain or something like that, without thinking. Technically, that's that's venial. But if I take that split split second to choose what word I want to use to express my pain and my dissatisfaction with the situation, God. and you just and you just hold it in you for two seconds and just yell it out, well, now, now that's mortal. It's the same. It's the same thing, you know. Again, with your one-fingered salute thing there, right? If you're looking at somebody and just in full malice of them without disregard of who they are as a person and, you know, you're sitting there thinking like, oh, I hope something bad, you know, whatever it is, and you're doing that. Well, now, I mean, that's way different than 
somebody honks at you and you know just a hey like get out of here like you know yeah, what I, mean? Like I mean all sins against the fifth commandment but you there's a gradation there you yes know? there absolutely is and the, and the point is is like it it comes down to because god can see god knows everything right so he knows our intent behind it right it goes into his 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 forgiving nature right that he can he can he he's just but he also knows that we're fallible humans and we're going to make mistakes and so maybe a minor mistake does not lose us with sanctifying grace right there's a debt we have to pay for offending him but it doesn't mean that we've lost out on the beatific vision but then there are other sins in which if we do not ask forgiveness he will not forgive and I did find those verses, by the way. So 1 John five sixteen and 17 is where John actually is the one who tells us that there are sins that lead to death and there are sins that are not leading to death in terms of they don't kill the soul outright. But in the end, we have to acknowledge there are sins that cut us off and we should be really scared of being in that state of mortal sin. That's where John nine thirty one actually sits there and says, God doesn't hear the prayers of sinners. And when he says that, he's meaning unrepentant sinners. And so if we're so oblivious to him that we're not even paying attention as to whether what we just did was completely offensive to God or not, we didn't try to go and validate and say, could someone prove to me that this was okay, that he wanted me to do this? Um, he doesn't have to listen to our prayers. And it, there's Old Testament stuff that says the same effect. So we can't do this whole, like Brian was saying in the last episode, there's no new God and old God. There's no New Testament and Old Testament God. I it's talked just, about this. He's unchanging. Yes. And as a result, then, if he says, no, I don't hear the unrepentant, that should like scare all of us because if we are ignorant enough or prideful enough to continue in sin, he can leave us. And then if and when we die, talk about a rude awakening. I mean, did he really leave us or did we leave him a long Correct. time ago? Correct. And that's the, that's the um, uh, Sistine Chapel, uh, Adam and God. If you look at their arms, go look at that painting. It's really interesting. Just stretched out as far as he could. Yep. If you look at God, God's arm is fully stretched, no bend, no nothing. Everything he's got is is out there. And then look at Adam, who's got a bend in his arm, going, eh. <laughs> and like, not today, not today. So yes, we we leave God, and in the end, then he respects that. Again, going back to our free will discussion we had, he respects our free will. So yeah, it's not like hanging in the balance either. When we, when you go up there for the particular judgment, once you get the realization, like up there, and you're just like, "Oh my goodness, I was I was so wrong. I did." You know, you're gonna have to sit through that judgment, but it's not gonna be a surprise ending. Yeah, and if you listen, there's a talk out there by uh, Father Casey uh, on spiritual combat. He talks about that, and it was one of those images that sticks in your head is that you remember when we're trying to look at sin, we're really looking at it from God's perspective. That's the whole thing about being Christian. We have to flip everything around. It's not about what I think or what I want. You have I to come want. outside of yourself. That's what we've you, been talking about. Yeah, so you have long. to look at God's perspective. And the whole problem then we should really be contemplating in our end, especially when we get to that particular judgment moment, moment of truth in terms of how we did. Uh, Father Casey talks about the fact that this judge is one with whom you cannot negotiate. He knew everything that led up to every decision you made. He knew the justification you had in your head as to why you thought it was okay. He knew everyone else's intentions involved in it. And he saw every single way you could have avoided it. And still, you went right in. And now the only possible excuse you have is my imperfections, my vices, my choice. Like, it's terrible. Like, totally crushing in terms of this is... 
what God has in store for those who actually sin. And remember, the path is wide that leads to destruction. The majority of people are going to go through that negative and terrible experience when God tells them, be gone from me, you workers of evil. That should be like chilling. And all of our life should be lived because we don't want to end up in that state of mortal sin. And that's question 67 hits it from the standpoint of like, it's deadly because it deprives us of sanctifying grace, no supernatural life. In the end, that means no heaven. (laughs) That's terrible. We need to treat this very sincerely. Like I maybe maybe seriously. I'm, I don't know. There's a, there's probably a better word. I'm trying to think of it, but it's serious. There's nothing it's more very serious. grave matter. <laughs> it is a grave matter. Look at that. Almost like it's written to state that point. Uh, yeah. Not only do you not get heaven, but uh, you also get the other one. <laughs> it's only one of two states we're going to end up in in the end. And if you choose heaven, you choose the. The first step in the spiritual life is is just ridding yourself of the garbage of mortal sin. And there's a lot of junk in the closet to clean out after a lifetime of, of just stupidity, stupidity, nominal cultural living. Uh, the second step, I think, is even more tedious, which is ridding yourself of all the venial sin and all the so tough. Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Just the, the vices, the little. Well, it's, the it's justified. Yeah, it's justified mistakes in our heads. So this is the thing. So like make sure listeners, just so you know. When I'm sitting there talking about stupidity and you could get angry at me, I I'm not, don't know if... We are self-accusing. Yeah, yeah. Right now, I'm looking at this from the standpoint of like I came into this Catholic faith from being a Protestant who had totally justified every single behavior that I had ever chosen to do. And then I get to this point where all of a sudden I'm having to evaluate and now go through full examinations of conscience and look at what morality God spoke of in the Beatitudes, which everyone's so beautiful, except for they're so hard. They're really impossible. And I look at every place I fell short. I was not meek. I was not disciplined. I did not take care of the, the needy. I took care of myself. I didn't go to worship every Sunday, even though God, basically, I owe him everything. I didn't give him everything. I didn't give him the best, let alone give friends. I'll put that in quotes, is that I didn't treat them as friends. I didn't give them the best that I had. Like I look at everything I totally did wrong and made mistakes on and thought, it's all good, man, until I get there. And that whole realization, like, oh, man, I was terrible. I was absolutely terrible. And in the end, when you look at it from God's perspective and he's looking at this feeble-minded, you know, Pete down there, man, what an idiot. I feel bad for him if he would just come back and not be so stupid. And now my whole struggle then on a daily basis is not being dumb. It's trying to make sure that I actually have the desire to be with him all the time, to give him everything that I have, knowing that he is the end of all things. He's the beginning of all things. And the only reason anything around me exists is because of him. It's just logical. Like, so talking and getting back, like the idea of what what are the effects of sin, right, on us? We already talked about grave, you know, not getting into heaven. Question sixty eight, right? Like we already talked about not getting into heaven. Mm-hmm. There's there seems to be this prevailing thought, and I have so many specific examples from my recent past interactions with friends or acquaintances. There seems to be a a belief that you can separate the sin from the sinner, right? So that's where you get this whole idea, the, the essentially a Protestant idea, right? That like, yeah, I know I'm doing something I shouldn't be, but God knows that I'm a good person. Well, let's let's caveat this because the thing is, is as you say that, um, you literally do separate the sin from the sinner in one capacity. So we're talking about in a certain way, the sinner is fully culpable for his sins, and we have to acknowledge that. But 
we have to make sure that when we look at the atheist, the Satanist, the Protestant, the Muslim, whatever, we as Catholics are taught to love those individuals for who they are or who they can be really, I should say, and what God has bestowed in them. Because if they can get their sanctifying grace, if they can come back to the one true faith, if they can come back to Christ and submit everything before yeah. his prelates and whatever, then in the end we can love that person. That person can be That's good not what I'm arguing, and we can though. separate it. We just have to make sure. Uh, yeah. I'm just giving it as a caveat sure. to make sure that sure. So maybe anyone listening. It then. So the, but there's the idea, right. And it goes back to what we've already talked about the whole, you know, I'm a good person and, but nothing, nothing good in this world can come that isn't of God's will, right? No act can be classified as good if it is not what God actively wills. But there is a idea that is that <clears throat> I know I shouldn't be doing this. However, God knows that I'm a good person, right? There's a, and what does Aristotle say, right? That, that excellence is not a, an act, but a habit, right? And, and was it Thomas Aquinas? that also talked about that, that virtue is not, a, essentially says the same thing. It's not an act, but it's a lifestyle or it's acquired, it's a, it's a acquired um, form of behavior. So, but that right there, if you can, if you can break people of that thought process of, yeah, I know, I know I shouldn't be doing this, but God, you know, this goes back to Jesus is my drinking buddy. He's the guy that I'm barbecuing with. Like he, he knows me. We, we are bringing him down to our imperfect level uh, with those understandings. But if you can break people of the idea of, or make people realize, I should say, that no, until you repent, until you stop doing these things, you can never be good as God intended you to. Because of what you're continuing to do, this idea that like you can separate your lifestyle, your acts, your the the works that you cultivate on this earth, that somehow you can separate your soul from that into being like, yes, but I'm, I'm always a good, I'm actually a good person. And, and God knows that. That's what Pete talked about, the rationalization of our behavior. Mm-hmm. And when you're in that, that tempest, you know, you, you're not really tethered to anything. You're not oriented in a particular direction. It's, it's going towards the good. Uh, you, I'm telling you people, you can rationalize anything if you this want. This is it. how murder is justified. This is how genocide is justified. The Nazis were able to justify a lot. Communists were able to justify Anyone can justify evil. It doesn't take anything. And to be perfectly honest, this goes back to Adam and Eve. They justified the a grave evil that ultimately resulted in uh, pains for all of us. And in the end, it's it's about keeping our focus on God's perspective so that we can make good decisions to avoid the, the ramifications of mortal sin. We justify abortion all the time, you know, mm-hmm. to, to essentially bring it down to the level of like, well, are we going to have weekday parking on Main Street or not? Like, you know, like it's some sort of issue to be argued over. And I think this is where, let's go into question 68, because I started to talk about it, but uh, right here is a good moment to sit there and say, besides depriving the sinner of sanctifying grace, what else does mortal sin do do to the soul? And then besides depriving the sinner of sanctifying grace, mortal sin makes the soul an enemy of God, takes away the merit of all its good actions, deprives it of the right to everlasting happiness in heaven, and makes it deserving of everlasting punishment in hell. Now, all of those things, when we look at that result in the middle there that diabolic disorientation also deprives us of the use of reason no Mm -hmm. longer can we properly evaluate what is important and what is not what is of god and what is not everything starts to come apart um, especially if we won't align our will to god so it's everything's within our powers because we have the free will thing 
Um, yeah, we lose free will. We lose, or not free will, I'm sorry. We lose reason, right? We retreat into ourselves, as we've talked about before, and then our will becomes hardened against God, and we become our own worst enemy. When, we're, when we find ourselves in that self-created hell on earth that is an addiction or unrepentance or whatever it is, we are literally, we're so within ourselves and not acting out uh, in goodwill towards God, bringing God the glory he deserves, and acting in goodwill to our neighbors. We're so trapped in our own terrible attempts to, of rationalization that we are literally using our own free will against ourselves. Spiritual suicide. And not only spiritual suicide, but infinite offense against God. And sitting there saying, you're leaving him with no other option other than damnation. And that's why hell, in, in the grand scheme, when we decide that our will is more important than his, our flawed will, impacted by original sin, impacted by the corruption of the world, impacted at times by demons as well, and we're like, no, 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 mine actually makes the most sense, then why does he care what we want anymore? Like, uh, in fr from the standpoint of comfort, and from the standpoint of, of sanctity, right? From what he's going to look at, he's like, no, you don't want any of that. You want disorder. If we crave the disorder of the world and we crave sin and we crave the advice of demons, we crave the corruption of the will, the diabolic disorientation and confusion, he's going to be like, I'll give it to you. And you can have it forever even. I don't, I'm exactly. not going to give it temporarily. You can have it in hell and go for it. Exactly. That's what you asked for. But there's a disorientation that you get up front with it, though. Once you're in um, a state of mortal sin, the enemy is not going to want to knock you off the wide path. The comfort will be there. You're the, coasting at that you're point. You're coasting. The, the easiness of it. Uh, you're not going to find much friction in your, in your relations or workplace. Uh, it is quite a strategy. Now, granted, the problem is, is that venom can actually strike at any time. The problem is, is that in hell there are no friends. Therefore, <laughs> demons hate each other as well as the humans that they are destroying. So in the end, there's always going to be pain. Question is, what's the point of it? So, I mean, it's to, again, go back to one degree, right, in the 360. And if you got them just off one degree, but you don't know you're off one degree, well, then, yes, I would say that the demon, Satan, you know, whatever diabolic forces are happy and content to let you coast one foot off the path if you don't know. But if you know, if you are aware of what is right, what is wrong, and you go off, well, then they're going to try and get you as far away from that path as possible, that you despair, that you essentially you lose your reason, you become disoriented, and it just becomes almost impossible for you to to use your free will to get out of it, to right, to, to essentially despair and go, well, I know what I, I should do, but now it's exponentially so much harder for me to get back on that path, whether that's going to be loss of human relations, relationships in this world, whether that's going to be physical pain, whether that's going to be monetary pain, whether that's going to be you know, public humiliation, you know, whatever it is, you know, you're, yeah. you, you, you lose all that. And also too, by the way, when you're talking about God giving us you, uh, use of our free will into eternity, if we reject him, if we want to go hang out with demons, that's important too. There seems to be uh, another weird understanding, whether it's poorly catechized Catholics or Protestants, that there's like, at the end you die and you go to your judgment and you get the, the last attempt to make your case. Like, mm. like, oh, hey, now that I'm here, God, I do love you and only you. Like, that's that ship sailed. Well, and you have to ask, too, whether or not that a soul that didn't want to actually follow God in this that's life. That's the point is you would didn't like God in the just because it's like, nah, that doesn't that's not me. 
I don't, I don't feel like that. I'm going to kind of go my own way. Well, at that point, wouldn't heaven be the most painful and grueling experience, save for Satan now? Like, why would you want to be there? Well, You've that's already the whole point is when you die, your soul is locked for yeah. eternity in the way in which you let it, it pass into that world. So you don't want to go to heaven. You willingly throw yourself into hell. And it's important for people to realize that, like, there you don't get this, you know, this idea of like, all right, I'm dead. Now it's my time to make peace with God. Like that again, it's over. Yeah. And so, and I think we'll, we'll get to that when we talk death judgment, hell and heaven. Um, cause we'll, we'll try and get a little bit back on track. Now the, I think the, the rationalization though, and the knowledge is really key to the next question in terms of what makes uh, sin mortal. And Brian already covered this. And we're going to try to keep hammering at home, but the thought, desire, word, or action or omission so this means not doing stuff when you're supposed to do stuff also is equally sinful. Um, if it's grave and it's serious, uh, that's condition one. So you did something that was a grave matter. Uh, two, the sinner must know that it was wrong. And three, the sinner fully consented. So if you didn't know it was wrong, but you did a grave thing. So like, so I, there are people out there, women who are atheists or whatever else, and they have an abortion and they feel emotional pain or whatever else. There's all sorts of problems or whatever. Uh, technically, although it's grave, and although they fully consented to it in certain cases, for them it's not a mortal sin because they actually weren't aware that it was actually a mortal sin. And we can go through a whole bunch of they other. They may sin- not know. They may I not would know. caveat that because there may also be a time where you were raised in a Catholic school and you were told abortion yeah. is not good, and you ch- and you know that you've heard that, and you willfully walked away. So I, w- I would just say I would be careful Absolutely. because there is you may have plausible deniability of being like, man, I've literally never heard any of this. All right, cool, you didn't know, then it's not yeah. a mortal sin, but. If you really had an examination conscience, how many times? Yeah, it's. I can speak. Uh, let me just say from experience here. So, being Protestant and not being Catholic and living the first thirty some years of my life as a Protestant, and then going through my initial examination of conscience and my initial confession, going through and trying to evaluate these criteria, and knowing that technically everything I'm confessing, this is one of the things. What's like, it's a free pass uh, from the standpoint of look. All you got to do is confess. Just just get rid of it because all of the things I did that I know of that were grave, they were in that list. Even some of the venials were in that list. And I know that at the time I fully consented to it. Um, it doesn't mean that I'm not disgusted by them now. It doesn't mean that I don't find them absolutely terrible. It doesn't mean that I don't have flashback memories, whatever. And like, oh, man, I remember when I was doing that and how yeah. I thought it was great. And it's still how God was not happy with me in that moment it's still going to hurt. The The main takeaway here, though, is all three of these conditions must be present or else it cannot be a mortal sin. And what we're trying to fight against here, which I know a couple of us have issues with, is scrupulosity and just sit there and go, ooh, was it mortal? And you just sit there and rack your brain for like hours or more or days. And you're just like, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, that was, know. that was my like, point is don't be scrupulous and say like, well, I didn't really know. Like, I didn't have the catechism right in front of me. I would always err on the side of. Well, you're in you're in both sides. The problem is there's scrupulosity, like Luther had, where he would sit in confession for twelve hours and think that everything he confessed was not forgiven. <laughs> That's bad one way. The other one is scrupulous to the point where you're like, nah, I don't need to confess it. It's fine. And you, you rationalize just, you just, it. Oh, that yeah. was just a venial. But... So it's just trying to go through and just say, hey, maybe I don't know whether they're venial or mortal. I just got to go through them and figure them all out. But again, uh, you have to have all three conditions. Therefore, if like say I don't know, you're drunk or you were forced into doing something that's terrible, so you don't have full consent, and again, it's back into, well, it's not a mortal sin, it's grave, and yeah, you knew it was wrong, which is why you tried to stop, but something happened and you followed through with it. All those things must be uh, 
um, considered in order to determine whether or not it's a mortal or a venial sin. And so that leads us into the next question, 70 here. What is a venial sin? And a venial sin is a less serious offense against the laws of God. So in the end, still um, God's infinite. If you offend God, it's going to be an infinite offense. Now, the gravity really is going to talk about whether or not you could undo the effects of this sin. So like venial sins, yeah, you can do restitution. It's pretty straightforward. But like murder, there's there's no going back from that. It's over. Like the, you can't bring back to life the person that was murdered, manslaughter, things like that. Those are grave matters versus like, oh, well, I broke this thing and then I, I lied about it and didn't tell anyone I broke. Well, if it was a stupid $5 plate and no one even counted plates, then, okay, whatever. You know, you can buy a new plate. So that that's really what we're talking about. Is they're, they're less serious in terms of their gravity. You're not deprived of sanctifying grace because in the end, you didn't follow through on everything that made it a mortal sin. Um, and then that means that you can be pardoned even without a sacramental confession. So therefore, uh, what holy water can help uh, if you're getting doused by holy water from a priest, if you take the Eucharist, things like that, there are ways those venial sins can go away. As long as you're you're contrite, you want them confessed. The problem is you can create, you can compound it if you're going to say, well, I'm, I, I don't think I was wrong. Well, that's bad. Um, but otherwise, yeah, what we're really talking about here is there's the three conditions for mortal and then for venial. Um, those three conditions are not satisfied, so it's kind of everything else. And the, just, just to emphasize that we need to um, uh, be cautious with the venial sins. Pete did mention that we should be confessing them. But at the same time, uh, if you, I, I guess we'll get to near occasion of sin here shortly, but if you constantly put yourself uh, in the mindset that, well, it's not mortal, so I'll just keep doing it, then you're going to slip. It's going to happen. And you need to be uh, just as vigilant when it comes to the small things as you would be the big things. It's important, too, to find a priest. If you are confused at all, to have good counsel, someone who's objective, someone who's not going to sit there like you will for your own self and rationalize, well, I don't really think that was mortal, venial, like, get out of yourself. Go find somebody who gives you good counsel, yeah, i.e. your priest. A good hint on those, um, and this is kind of from experience, and don't get me wrong, you'll find ones that are outside this mold, and if you can, that's awesome. Um, but if they wear a cassock, you're going to have a higher likelihood that you're going to get someone who's going to be very straightforward with you and blunt. Explain when what a cassock is for those who don't know. So a cassock is the uh, black um, priestly garment that is, um, it, for lack of a better term, that in the 21st century people would try to say dress and mock it. Um, but in the end, it actually looks like a suit coat top uh, from the waist up. And then there's a sash around it. It's buttoned all the way down. And then on the bottom, as opposed to pant legs, it actually is opened up uh, more. Not, I don't know if gown's the right word. Yeah, I'm not sure. I'm not but sure how to describe there's probably, it. For those of you who like the BBC show, there's a good show, Father Brown. Google Father Brown if you're listening to one. this. He wears a cassock. Yep. And I want to say that uh, Fulton Sheen was always in a cassock. You yes, have Yes. So you have a whole bunch of individuals that are always wearing cassocks, but but it's not the the black business suit with the the high collar. No, I right. think Pete's warning against Father Feelgood or Bishop Feelgood. That's uh, yeah, if the, you know their first name, maybe that that could be an indicator that you, there may be some issues there. Um, but but either way, the, what we're really getting at here is just make sure that you are doing the reading in the catechism. This is why we're doing these lessons. You keep doing reading in the church fathers and the doctors to stay in line with church teachings 100% so that you know that when you go talk to a priest and you can say, hey, Father, this is a sin. Can you please forgive me? Then he's going to agree with you as opposed to doing the, nah, don't worry about it. You're fine. If that happens, 
run and don't ever go back because he's committing a sin by not allowing you to actually follow through on the stuff that you need to, to do. Um, and he's ultimately encouraging you to actually commit sins as well. So, so just make sure that just think about it as we're, uh, we're going through there and we're going to go in to the next question from here. How can a sin be venial? Well, it's, uh, two ways. The evil done is not seriously wrong. This goes back again. It's just a minor matter. Um, and the evil is done in a way that the sinner, the sinner, excuse me, the sinner sincerely believes that it really wasn't that bad um, or doesn't give full consent to it. So this goes back to, again, if you don't have all three conditions, it cannot be mortal. Therefore, these people are rationalizing away why eh, it's not that bad. It's just whatever. Well, if that's what's going on through some people's heads, that's what turns into venial sins. But like Brian saying, you can stack those up. They can get really bad. They can get out of control. People can lose their way. They can fall off the path. They can end up in a state of mortal sin if they continue to do it without any consideration for the impact on their soul or the opinions of God. This is why St. Alphonsus actually has a great homily. If anyone wants to listen to it and feel uh, a little bit uh, closer to this topic, um, the number of sins beyond which a person uh, cannot be pardoned. So at some point they keep committing it, keep committing it, keep committing it. And God at some point says, stop mocking me. I'm done. And we're over. So to clarify that, uh, I always looked at it like the, uh, the boiled frog, you know, you, you get in the water's fine. It's, it's all good. Then eventually the heat's raised up and you get to a point where you become susceptible to greater and more graver sins because all of a sudden it doesn't seem so bad, especially considering the, the constant history of, of lesser sins. But uh, St. Alphonsus isn't saying that God does not pardon. There's just a limit to how much he'll tolerate based on that you have no idea when you're going to die. Uh, we have no idea. There's not one person that truly knows. And if you are presumptive enough to think that, oh, I'll just have this one weekend, I'll, I'll do all this stuff, and don't worry, I'll go confess on Monday, you're not guaranteed Monday. And at that point, God is not going to be mocked anymore with your behavior and your presumption. Everything doesn't stay in Vegas? No, no, it clearly doesn't. <laughs> this generation <laughs> will find out terribly. He promises pardon to the penitent, but does not promise tomorrow to the unrepentant. Yeah. And so then let's move into the, the last uh, four questions we got here. How does venial sin harm us? Venial sin harms us uh, by making us less fervent in the service to God, weakening our power to resist mortal sin, and making us deserving of God's punishments in this life or in purgatory. And that's presuming we don't tip over the edge into mortal sin. So this goes back to what were the pains that Adam and Eve suffered. In the end, they were going to get death. In the end, they had to then suffer all sorts of discomforts and pains and everything else. In the end, this is why Christ and Matthew and John and Paul and Peter and James, all of them agree this Life is painful. So we have committed countless sins, all of us, and we are trying to get out of it. But in the end, the results of all of those sins, the amount of pain that we inflict upon ourselves is unfathomable in terms of what we have done, let alone being in the presence of those individuals, family members, friends, or just acquaintances, or people we don't even know. They just happen to walk by and do something terrible to somebody else, and you happen to be watching it, or you were affected by it directly. Those pains all come from all manner of sin. You just have this cascading chain reaction of sins just that's swirling all over the place. And that's where we come in to figure out what do we got to do to get out of that? Like, if these punishments are going to come one way or another, 
this is David getting punished just because he sinned with Bathsheba. In the end, first child dies. It doesn't matter that you said, hey, can you please forgive me? I'm sorry. He said, yeah, I'll forgive you. And yeah, I know you're sorry, but here comes the rest of what justice mandates. And it is just too, giving us the three conditions to know what is mortal, what will lead to us losing sanctify. It's not a guessing game. God's not up there just going, I hope you guess right. Because behind door number two, my friend, you know. You mean he's a loving and just father who says, exactly. these are these are your rules. If you follow them, we're good. If you do not follow them, these I have to punish the, you. Yes. It's, how, how much malice does the parent have that doesn't discipline their children? Yeah. And, and I think then this, as, as everyone hopefully is getting a little bit uncomfortable now, because we've talked through topics about being sinful. Um, let's ask now, question 73, how can we keep from committing sin? because all of us are dying to know right now to sit there and stay away from hellfire and all the other punishments, or at least staying out of the bad mindsets as we suffer those ill effects. We can keep from committing sin by praying, by receiving the sacraments, remembering that God is always with us, recalling that our bodies are temples of the Holy Ghost, by keeping occupied with work or play, by promptly resisting the sources of sin within us and avoiding near occasions of sin. This is where I'm going to recommend, um, hands down, one of the best books I have ever read that actually covers a lot of this stuff is The Spiritual Combat by Dom Scapoli. By the end of that first chapter, where he kind of lays the groundwork for what it is to live a devout life and live out of sin, he lays down four simple rules, which are right in line with what the catechism just says right there. And his guidelines are very simple. In order, first, distrust oneself going back to original sin and all the issues that we have every day confidence in god so again uh this is humility and knowing that his perfection is there uh when we need it proper use of the faculties of the body and mind so this means keeping ourselves focused keeping ourselves busy at the times we need to be busy and focused on the right things not just wasting time and twiddling thumbs and and uh, getting into trouble and then lastly is the duty of prayer so we have an obligation to continue strengthening our relationship with God. And if we follow those simple rules, in the end, everything else works. But yeah, check out the spiritual combat is a good way to uh, kind of keep up to speed in, on the faults that we have in ourselves. And kind of when we start to go off the path, it's a good way to get back on. That was also a book recommended by Francis DeSales in his intro to the devout life. He references and uses that book uh, as a, an example of a spiritual work that we all should continue reading on a regular basis. I would also say a commitment to penance, right? Or mortification, whether that's fasting, whether that's wearing a hair shirt, I don't, you know, whatever your flavor of penance is. Some sort of self-denial. Some sort of self-denial, right? Because, you know, there is a, a saying that I've heard many times in my life, which is pain retains, right? If it doesn't hurt, then you're very unlikely to remember it, right? This is this goes back to corporal punishment, right? A child does something that he very much should not have done, right? He he stole and then purposely broke his sister's favorite doll, whatever it is. Those spankings will help him remember that that is a totally unacceptable behavior, right? So if you're if you are doing that for yourself or to yourself, self denial in whatever form that takes place, along with prayer. It will help you be very cognizant uh, while you're in that state of grace after confession, after receiving sacraments. It will help you see those pitfalls. And we've kind of talked about it offline before, but it will make you extremely the tolerance for your the tolerance you have for those around you behaving in such a way will will, will drop a lot. You mm -hmm. won't have a lot of tolerance for it. And it'll essentially make you um, force for good. 
Yes. You know? Ze- zealous, I should say, would be the zealous for doing what's right. Again, living well in a way that gets you free from those snares of the devil. All the devil's doing is, as we're talking about all the pains and all the corruptions and everything that happens as we go away from beauty and away from God, tons of snares. And what we're trying to do is steer clear of those things. Uh, the fun part is, once you start to turn towards God, uh, your confessions get more frequent. Uh, you feel more harassed, and you start to notice just the sheer volume of garbage that you are exposed to on a daily basis, whether it's at work or on TV or you know, just your general life. And then uh, as a convert, you also have the, the additional privilege of laying there in the middle of the night and having something you did 17 years ago pop forward in your brain, and you get to put that in your, your confession the next weekend as well. Yeah, that's always fun, by the way, getting uh, driving away from uh, confession and then remembering what you forgot. Yeah, I don't like that. <laughs> I think the other thing, too, is, is um, you know, prayer can't, you know, atheists would like to mock it and say, oh, you say these words and magically everything. And it's no, no, but you're taking, right, we're in the physical world. And when you're praying, right, um, you're invoking God, his angels, the chosen saints, right? You're invoking their help, their protection. You, it's also, it's not easy, right? You know, people say, oh, you say those magic words. Well, if it's, if it's that easy as you're claiming, then why don't you do it? Like, why don't you say the rosary every day, right? Oh, it only took 15 minutes. I'm supposed to say like, but yet how many people actually do that? It's not easy, right? And so God looks at that and, and it is, it is essentially right when we're talking about confessing our sins, getting rid of the mortal and the venial sins, you know, this is further along the path of essentially continuing to to show God that, yes, I was contrite. That wasn't just like some random guilt trip that I felt and I had to go to confession. And, you know, now that I'm out, I'm like, whoo, and, you know, right back to it. Like it is, it's showing, yes, like I'm trying to earn the forgiveness that I did not deserve. Um, so prayer is a big one. Yeah. yeah. And this is where let's uh, expand here as we uh, roll out on the finishing this lesson here. What are the chief sources of actual sin? Um, it's the seven deadly sins. So this is pride, greed, lust, anger, gluttony, envy, and sloth. And so when we talk about pride, everyone's kind of familiar with pride, uh, lording over again, wanting to be the boss all the time, not thinking that, uh, you uh, deserve being uh, downtrodden or, or, uh, walked upon, um, that you think everyone should listen to you or whatever else. Uh, greed, we're all familiar with greed comes up all the time. We say something. I was just gonna say on the pride thing, it seems to be a very, very central ideology amongst um, Western secularism, right? Pride's manifested very much in the idea of rights is preeminent over responsibility, right? I have the right to do X, Y, Z. I have the right to, you know, be, you know, whatever it is I want to do or to do whatever I want to do as long as I'm not hurting anybody else. And we put a, we put such a focus and preeminence on that, on what our rights are, that we have shirked our responsibility, right? Well, that's what children being born out of wedlock. That's why deadbeat dads or, you know, or born to single mothers or whatever it is, we shirk our responsibility and it's all out of pride. Well, I don't have to do that. Like I can, you know, whatever it is, but yeah. It's pride so deep that I can even demand you call me by certain pronouns because now I'm, I'm taking your innate right to uh, you know, free speech. Hmm. You know, it's that's, I mean, how selfish does that have to be internally? Knowing that you only go by sir, I would I would do it absolutely. I, I mean, <laughs> I finally got that right around here. So, and then when we keep going here, uh, lust being sins of the flesh, 
I'm more familiar with that, just like That's we were talking cool. about the pronouns and all the other nonsense we got going on these days. Which like, vision, uh, which mystic is it that says that's uh, why most people, is it Catherine Siena? Most people go to hell for sins of the flesh? Uh, it wouldn't surprise me. Or it's Fatima. Yeah, or Lady Fatima. Fatima. Was it Fatima? Okay. So. I couldn't, yeah. And it's one of the visions of hell where our mother is telling the yeah. mystic, most people go to hell for this sin. And it is the one, go back to spiritual combat. It is the only sin. Uh, Pete, if you want to finish it off, yeah, so I don't so, mess it up. So there's a bunch of chapters in spiritual combat that actually break down exactly how you're supposed to walk into each challenging situation that you face that will actually threaten you uh, and inciting you to, to go and violate the laws of God uh, with the seven deadly sins. The near occasions. Everything except for one tells you you have to bear it. You grit your teeth and you hang in there and you just keep fighting through it. There's one that you have to run away, lust. Lust is so overpowering, as everybody knows. Like everyone knows, it's intoxicating. We talk about it. There, there we are, are physical beings. Yeah, and the problem is, is that it, it has such an overpowering set of feelings associated with it, physical and emotion, emotional. Let alone the fact that you have other external influences trying to push it. Takes two to tango. Yes, all of that. So the end state is that lust. You can't overpower it. Don't try to rationalize it. Don't try to go in there and think, no, 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 I got this, man. I can go hang out with this person who I I'm attracted to. I go to the strip to. club and talk to yeah, and nothing's convert go people. Wrong. Yeah, no. It's not. So, uh, Remove so, yourself. Yeah, so that one's rough because it's the only one that you're actually supposed to run away from. All the rest you go in. And then we're finishing it out here. You got malice and anger. So that's whenever you're wanting to hurt people or just intolerance, that type of thing. And I don't mean intolerance of orthodox beliefs here. <laughs> Sorry, modernists. <laughs> I mean, anger in terms of unjust feelings against other people that really are reflecting on our impatience and our desire to be in charge. Again, you can't really separate any of these from pride. They're all in there. Yeah, pride's the root of all of it. Yeah, gluttony is basically... It's first sin committed. It is. Uh, gluttony, excess in terms of uh, the body, in terms of we eat too much, we do too many things. Uh, envy, wanting what other people have. There's two commandments explicitly for that in the ninth and tenth in the uh, Ten Commandments. And then sloth is basically just deciding, eh, I don't want to do anything. This goes back to that whole sins of omission. Is sloth or sloth? You can both say are either. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Yep. Sid the sloth. <laughs> yep, there you go. And so uh, then these capital sins, moving on to question 75, why are they called capital sins? So the seven deadly sins, why are they capital? They're called capital sins not because they in themselves are the greatest sins, but because they are the chief reasons why men commit sin. So mm. when we look at every single sin that could possibly ever be committed on the face of this earth, front to back, everyone, um, they all root back to these seven, no matter what. And, and again, like I just said, not only do they root back to these seven they have to be rooted in pride, and then they're combined together to end up with another ill effect. Yeah, and there's no there's no one of the the seven deadly that's worse than the other. We, you know, we did say that a lot of it is rooted in pride. And when I said earlier, by the way, I just want to clarify. When I said that pride is the first sin committed. I'm not talking about the first sin by humans committed, but it is it is the sin which causes uh, Satan and the third of the angels to fall. I will not pride. serve exactly. Um, so that's what I meant by that. But, um, you know, I think everybody's got their own one of those sins or maybe multiple that they do. But, you know, a lot of it, too, I always look at, I think one that's overlooked on the tail end there, sloth, um, is I look at it as instead of being proactive, right? My mother always says be proactive, not reactive. I, I had heard that my entire life growing up. But instead of being proactive, 
doing your prayer, doing your penance, stepping outside yourself to um, partake in the sacraments, to help others, doing all these things that are keeping you, like we talked about earlier, keeping your body, your mind, and your soul occupied with good, um, and I do mean good, godly things, you're sitting back and letting your defenses, you know, fall it's back, apart. Back to the idle hands, exactly. the saying. Yeah. And then what creeps in on the back end to fill your time, other than whether it's gluttony, lust, or, or whatever it is. Um, and so I think I'm not I'm not arguing that sloth by any means is the you know they're all equally terrible. But I think that that's one in our modern day world with how sedentary we have become. I think it's you know yeah. That I'll put a link to another book in there. That's the uh, the noonday devil and looking at ascetia, which actually covers that exact problem which are uh, written by an abbot or they see it in religious oh, yeah, communities about that. Yep. as well as seeing it among a bunch of people whom I know. And now, unfortunately, it's manifested a lot by uh, people, usually guys, um, sometimes girls, but video games yep. and all the other kinds of crap or watching sports. Like in the end, it's like, now that's doing anything for you. If you just, if you live your life and that's all you do, uh, sorry, I, I don't see how that's glorifying God. I don't see that's how, how it's not helping relationships. And so there are all sorts of like just outlets that people are just, Con, being consumed by not that it's, not, it's, not that it's, something's it's, wrong with right recreation correct yeah, yeah. yeah. so there, there's a balance to this sports are fine uh but you just need to i think the uh, to sum up the book in a in a very short way it's uh you need to define some sort of uh rigidity in your day your life uh have a rule of sorts and so you know what you should be doing when you should be doing it so that you do find the times to connect with god throughout your day to to render justice to him in worship and then there is time for right recreation where we can sit around and throw back a couple beers and watch a game or, you know, go go play the Xbox or, you yeah. know, uh, what's, the, what's the big game right now online? I don't even know. I'm so Probably far. Call of Duty. I don't know. Yeah, I don't even know. Yeah, yeah, I don't, I'm not a gamer. Yeah, I'm out I of touch. I used to be, but, but I'm out of touch. But just do everything in, in a moderated and temperate way. And uh, that's really the, uh, the, the, the way to fight uh, sloth, in my opinion. Uh, lust we run because you may last longer than others but everyone goes down everyone's a casualty of that war but this one you can fight by boxing it out so you stay towards whatever your vocation is i think they on the book they say stay in your cell don't leave yes. your cell discipline meekness. discipline stay stay with it and then whatever your plan you have stick with it at all costs and of course with kids you know uh no, no plan survives first contact so you're, you're going to be playing it by ear and calling audibles all day but uh just yes. Stick with it. Yeah, it's, it's one of those things like in modern day world, right? You're waking up, you're driving, right? We're not having to walk, you know, we're not having to walk uphill both ways in the snow. You're driving there. You're, even if it's really cold out, and even if you have to park a little bit of ways, eventually you're going to be in a heated building for most people anyways. Um, you're going to sit at a desk. Um, you're going to have food. You're going to have, have drink. food. You're going to have drink. Nothing's very challenging. And then you're going to go home and then you're going to turn on TV or you're going to sit down and play video games or you're going to surf uh, Facebook, Instagram, uh, Snapchat stories, uh, YouTube videos, whatever it is. And then you're going to go to sleep and do it again. And it's something, you know, it's, it's just not good for the soul. We were talking about this today, actually, Pete, about the whole idea of working out now, working out, you know, where they got the, the church of iron, you know, that's the, the modernist, you know, heathen, uh, way, atheistic way of saying it, secularist. But, we've it's so funny we've become so sedentary in our society life has become so easy that we literally pay someone to show up at their property to pick <laughs> things up to put things down but if anybody and and i'm trying to get back to that way but if anybody knows someone who who is an avid workout whether it's a runner or a crossfitter or a weightlifter or a swimmer or a cyclist 
some of the most happy time. Like they they look forward to that. The, they look forward to the strenuous the the physical challenges that come with working out. Oh, the absolute discipline involved. And the discipline that comes and but they look forward to that. That just oh, and at the end they just feel like right because they they got rid of all whether it's the anger or the, whatever it was. They just shut their brain down. They put their body through its paces as it was meant to do. I mean, Jesus himself was a blue collar guy. He's a carpenter um, working with his hands all day. And I think, I do think that part of being, and we're coming from a masculine perspective, I do think to be a man, we need to ensure that we are to some degree active, that we are fighting sloth so that we can be a better husband, father, brother, son, um, whatever, friend, whatever it is, so that we are essentially exuding those masculine virtues, right? So let's take that and we'll wrap it up with this last uh, question here because it's important now, since we've talked a lot about sin for almost an hour now, uh, what are the near occasions of sin? Near occasions of sin are all persons, places, or things that may easily lead us into sin. It is our job as Christians to mind our place and know what our weaknesses are. So we need to be doing good examinations of conscience, good, honest, objective evaluations of our character, and stay out of those places where we're most likely to fall again and offend God if we can avoid it. I think that going back to combat scenarios are the best way. Looking at this whole thing, this is a spiritual war. This is why what Dom Scapoli wrote is very important for the, the, the Christian man and the Christian woman, but uh, men can get the, the combat reference I'm going to make, is that if I have to go out into the field and I am really concerned about victory here. I don't want to lose. Do you know what I'm not going to do if I can help it? Walk into a freaking ambush. Like my goal is not to get set up. So I got all this time put in, but I went and did my prayers and I've been going to mass and I'm doing my sacraments and I'm taking care to have a discipline routine that I do every single day. And then what do I do? I'm like, Hey, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go to the, the uh, bar. Slam Jaeger bombs with, yeah. uh, you know, all the college kids. And, yep. uh, see where I end up at 3 a.m. Yeah. Or, or whether like it's a great plan or it's people with, you know, whom you're attracted to physically and it just keep adding on all these other problems. And it's like, you know, at some point, um, God's going to actually, um, we're going to get in trouble for that if we fall. And the thing is, is not only if we fall, but in the end that becomes its own sin to walk into the ambush, even if somehow by any stretch of the imagination, you manage to walk away will go in quotes unscathed, you still took damage by going in there with the pride of sitting there going, no, no, man, I got this. I can wake it out. You, you, no, you don't know that. All those graces and protections that you earned through prayer, fasting, you know, the sacraments. Poof. As soon as you're like, man, I probably shouldn't do this. But I mean, there's literally, it's not a mortal sin to go play pool at midnight or wherever. You know, the more, like you're talking about mounting venial sins, the more you put yourself in those scenarios the more we are actively, because God knows our hearts, right? We think we can tempt fate and get away with it. We're casting off those protections, that body armor. We're, we're dropping we're dropping magazines left and right as we go onto the X to do battle. Um, and yeah, I, I think it's true. Not in the ambush, but you always you can you always improve the defense, right? You never sit there. You're always there's always something else to to set up, so that. When you're faced with a, a a situation, you usually get angry, right, with a, a family member, right? They usually lose your temper. You have done all that you can to prepare their their attacks against you, maybe not even their wholly their attacks, right. maybe influence attacks, right? 
and you can withstand that, and then you can go on the offense and help, right? But you always improve the defense. You don't just sit there and go, all right, well, I, got, I did my rosary. We're good. Yeah, I got enough Pesco's and sandbags. We're good. <laughs> so so I, think, I think on that note, then, uh, we'll wrap this lesson up then. So thank you, everybody, for listening. And uh, if you enjoyed it, please make sure to subscribe to the YouTube, Spotify, iTunes, SoundCloud. Uh, we really enjoy having you. Next week, we're going to start into the incarnation, which is a great topic. This is finally where Jesus Christ hits the scene, hits earth um, in Into all of his glory. Right. Yep. And then this is where everything starts to rubber meets the road is what it means to be a Christian. So thank you again for listening. We look forward to seeing you next week. And as always, St. Joseph, pray, pray for, for us. us.